Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week we're going to be talking about preserving vegetables and fruits by root celery. Awesome. This episode of the Pantry Chat podcast is sponsored by Made On Skin Care. Made On specializes in skincare specifically for dry skin, and they use as few ingredients as possible to get the job done. You guys, this is the type of skincare I would make myself if I had time to make it in my own home. And the great thing is, Renee even shares her exact recipes with you. The Bee Silk Lotion Bar is my go-to lotion when my hands get dry and cracked and it's only made with three ingredients. Renee created it when she needed something to fix the splits in her fingers, cracks in her feet, and then she found out that it also worked great on her son's seasonal eczema. Go to hardlotion.com slash homesteadingfamily to find out what Josh's favorite made-on products are, and also use the code homesteadingfamily for 15% off today's purchase. All right, so we're continuing on with the series on food preservation. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. This is a good one. It really is. Um, but it's a, it's a tough one to tackle in a lot of ways, and that is root celery. Yeah. We're going to be covering the basics of root celery today, what you need to know, and some alternatives because a lot of us don't have an actual root celery, and that, that's why a lot of people don't tackle it, I think, because there is some infrastructure required. We still don't have a root cellar, but we have been cellaring vegetables for a long time. That's right. So we're going to give you a rundown on the basics, what you need, and then some alternatives to help you get through until you get to that point right. of an actual root cellar. Hey, but before we do that, we need to catch up a little bit yeah. and answer a question. So what is going on? Ooh, well, first, I want to let everybody know that Grandma Jeannie is doing better. Much better. She yep. is improving. She's still not home yet, but she is improving. So I know a lot of you guys um, have expressed really, you know, get well soon wishes to her. And we're so thankful for that. And I'm passing those along, but she is doing much better. Um, but then aside from that, we're actually getting ready for a trip. Yep. Yay, we, we get are. to take a little trip coming up here. And so, of course, when you're leaving <clears throat> the homestead, there are things that need to get done before you leave, especially when you're leaving kind of for us at the trailing end of harvest season. Yep, trailing end of harvest season. We're getting ready for, for winter. Mm-hmm. And we got a big household we're leaving behind for a little bit. Yeah, so we've been kind of busy with those preparations. Yeah, yeah. What pretty about much, you? Pretty much same, same here. Thing? Yeah, you know, <laughs> just visiting on Grandma and... 
We're working away. We've gotten some um, pasture reseeded mm -hmm. and an area, if you guys remember, we dug out the pond, large pond, and we had a lot of soil, like an acre of soil. We had to spread out. That finally dried out. We got that graded and disked and harrowed and seeded and seeding a few other areas, doing a fall seeding here yeah. to try to get a start on some of these areas. And just a lot of, it's been a lot of infrastructure this work. The infrastructure, if you guys have been following along this yeah. year. So we're um, starting to wrap all of that up. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I think we're going to be getting a roof on the addition here really soon. And so we will be yep. really ready for some weather to come in. Yeah, and then we can start on the inside, start on the electrical and stuff it's like that. Very exciting. So, so really, lots of things going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but hey, let's dive right in. We've got okay. a question for the question day. Question for the day <clears throat> from Sofast. On the Preservation 101 video, the intro into canning mm -hmm. asks, do you freeze most of your meat products? If so, what is your backup if electricity goes out other than a generator? Okay, so I don't know if I'm totally clear on the nature of that question, but yes, we do freeze most of our meat. We have several large freezers. I saw another question was asking how many. We've got at least four large chest mm -hmm. freezers. Uh, we freeze some other things too. Mm -hmm. But yes, we freeze most of our meat and the backup generators always cover that as far as like backing up that meat supply. Or we, We've never, never mm -hmm. lost a uh, freezer. It does happen. Excuse you do me. have to be careful. You need to be attentive of them. And certainly if the power goes out, you need to be watching them even more carefully and um, <clears throat> making sure that your generators are working. They're ready. You've got all the plugs you need. You've got fuel, everything else. So mm -hmm. on that side, that is the backup. Yeah. Um, you know, and we just have to take care of that and be prepared for it. So we are. Now, on the other side of being backed up, like, are we backing up our meat supply in mm. case something happens and we had a failure? Then, yes, we do keep a, a bit, not a ton, a bit of canned meat there yeah. um, for convenience, for easy meals. And, and, um, and yes, that is an additional backup supply. And, in fact, we have actually talked about... Um, beefing that up, you know, <laughs> at times and, and getting a little larger supply in there, something to do uh, to add on to for, for those kind of reserves, because it is nice to have those reserves. It really is. And, you know, <laughs> canning meat is actually really, really easy. I know it's very intimidating to a lot of people, but it's a very easy thing to can yeah. as far as the prep work. So it's a great way to go. But you also have dehydrating meat. You could do that. Freeze drying. Yeah. Um, curing, of course, you've got some cured meats yeah. to make them shelf stable, and then they can be in a root cellar type environment, yep. right? We're going to be talking about that. So, and that's something we do plan to tackle. I mm -hmm. want to tackle personally. I guess for me, that's more the culinary side. Yeah. Though building the skill of that preservation without uh, um, electricity or mm -hmm. some of the other methods is a good skill we want to add eventually, but right. it hasn't hit the priority list yet. Good. Yeah, very good. Good question. So let's dive in here. We're talking about root cellaring today. We are. And as Carolyn was saying, we don't have an actual technical root cellar. We actually are working towards building one. We need a really large one. Um, and so, <laughs> well, and let me let me just put this in context because I meant to say that too. You're talking about the number of freezers that we have. For those of you who don't know us. We have a 13 members in the household right. right now. So we're feeding a lot of people. We have grandma and grandpa on the property. They're here for quite a few meals. You know, so we, we actually have 15 people full time on the property. On the property. Yep. And so, and then of course we have a lot of guests in and out. So we're often feeding, you know, 17, 18, 19 people sure. at a meal. So we have a lot more food requirements than say a four person household does. Right. 
So we just want to put that into context because, yes, we need a really big root cellar, but it's for a large number of people. Well, and we're also for our environment because a lot of root cellaring crops, a lot of storage mm-hmm. crops do well in our environment. And yeah. so it makes a lot of sense to be moving towards growing more of those. Yes. It's easier preservation. Mm-hmm. But like we're going to talk about here, um, it's it's a large space that needs to be created and built into the earth. Yeah. And so that's a larger project to tackle that's that's coming on. Now, a lot of you don't need something that large. And so there's a lot of ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess we'll get to that. We'll start digging in here. I got a frog in my throat, I think. <laughs> um, well, let's just dive right in. What is root cellaring? Okay, so root cellaring is creating an environment where food keeps for a really long time, which usually means controlling the temperature and the humidity or finding a place that kind of does that for you to allow food to keep without any processing in its natural form for mm-hmm. a long time. And so there's, there's a, the most standard way we would do that would be in the earth. Right. For a specific reason. You want to right. cover that? Why, why root cellars mm-hmm. are generally down in the ground? Well, because of temperature <clears throat> control. When you're right. down in the ground, you're dropping that temperature. You're cooler. Right. And you're also stable temperature-wise. It doesn't fluctuate because the insulation of the earth. The other thing, though, is that the earth is moist. Mm-hmm. There's moisture down in there, so you have that humid, more humid environment. It's right. also easier to keep that humidity in um, especially if you're in a dry place, because you have all that insulation. Well, and it's a it's a great resource from that angle because pretty much anywhere that you have earth, mm-hmm. you can create storage. You just have to yeah. get down deep enough. If you're in a cold environment, you've got to get down below your freezing depth. Mm-hmm. And even in a hot environment, you can get down deep enough to keep things cool at yeah. that that general 50, 55 degrees, which is your soil temperature when you get down there. And so that becomes, it takes no energy to do that besides building it. Yeah. yeah. But again, we're going to say that you don't have to have a technical root cellar in order to actually take advantage of some of these methods. Right. It does make things a lot easier. Well, and you do. <laughs> well it makes things a lot easier and you're going to be able to store things a lot longer in the right conditions. Right. Um, but we'll cover towards the end of this, you know, some other things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And they may not be ideal conditions, but uh, you can put up a lot of food mimicking root cellaring in other environments. And these are exactly the things that we've done over right. the last yep. decade or and so it's gotten to us do this. by very, very well. Yeah, it has. Okay, so um, let's just dive into kind of we've been covering pros and cons on right. these topics. So what are some of the pros for root celery? Okay, so one of the top pros for me, for somebody who's generally responsible for bringing in a huge amount of food and having it stored for the winter is that it is fast. (laughs) You bring it in and you park it somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have the right environment, you're not processing, you're not chopping, peeling, cooking, any of that. That all comes later. And so that is just a major benefit to somebody who's trying to actually eat predominantly Mm -hmm. off of your food storage. So fast is a really big one. Easy is the next one, right? It's it's not very hard. Yeah, when you're easier, once you have the space set up, mm-hmm. it's one of the easiest preservation methods because there's not much to do but to harvest and yeah. prep the vegetables. A lot of them got to be cured properly right? and then stored. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's also done correctly or done. There are ways that you can root cellar with a lot of electricity, but in general, it is your low energy. It has very low energy right. power costs related to it. You're not usually running anything except for maybe a light to see where you're going in your root cellar, right? right. Maybe a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, 
a really, really great thing that has become more and more important to me as we live in the far north of Idaho and have these long, dark, snowy, cold winters is that it keeps food fresh. Mm-hmm. They're in their same condition, or the, at least they're still fresh. You haven't cooked them, you haven't processed them or changed their shape. So you can still go get fresh food to right. eat, you know, even when the garden is under feet of snow. Right. So that's really good. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a few cons, actually not a lot, but there are a few reasons why, you know, why it's a challenge or why you might not do it. Well, and the first one we've been talking about right. is... The, the infrastructure. Right, the infrastructure. Needs. You've got to get down into the earth. So you've got to move earth. You've got yeah. to build something. And, of course, if you're building a structure that's going to go under earth, uh, it needs to be a hefty structure. And we're not getting into how to build a root cellar. But um, it's a major project to take on. And the larger the amount you're trying to store in it, the larger it has to be. Yeah. yeah. Now, there are a lot of alternatives and other methods, which we will cover. We'll, we'll gloss mm-hmm. over a little bit here. But to do root cellaring right, it's, it's a big project to tackle and, mm-hmm. and has a bit of expense to get going. Another con that a lot of people don't realize, because we don't have a lot of experience with root cellaring in our culture generally mm-hmm. at this point, is that the, your root cellar and the things inside of it need to be maintained throughout their storage life. Yep. You've heard that, um, you know, one bad apple will spoil the whole batch, that yep. saying. That comes right. exactly from root cellaring, from cellaring things, is you have to be going through your stores, making sure nothing's going bad using up the things that are getting old looking and, and continually maintaining them. And by continually, I'm talking on a weekly basis. You need to be getting in and checking on your stores. So there is an ongoing, you know, it's not like canning where you just stick it on your shelf and it's done. Right. It's not that, while it's stable, and it's not that shelf stable as, right. as the, what we're used to. And we're just not used to that in our culture. And in the homestay and lifestyle, there's a lot of different things like that that you, you have to bring in a, a whole nother skill and a whole nother... Yeah task so to speak yeah and this is definitely one that while it's worth doing yeah you've got to get in there and you've got to be a part of things well and, and that, checking on it that not stable <laughs> is really one other con is that you know your your foods are all going to eventually go bad in a root cellar they're going to mold there's going to shrivel they're going to mm-hmm. get old and so again they're not in that stable condition like a canned good yeah. that might just sit there and last or a freeze-dried good that's going to last you know 20 years in the same state essentially um, you, you know, it's changing and it is going bad eventually. Right. So, you know, it's not long-term stable. Right. So, but when you provide ideal conditions, things mm-hmm. can last a really, really long time. So yeah. we're going to do a rundown here on the ideal conditions mm-hmm. of root cellar. And if you were to build one and what your goals are for, right. for different foods, because for different foods, there's different ideals and mm-hmm. what you want. And then We'll get on to some of the alternatives that just about any of us can apply in some fashion to start cellaring in your own home and your own property as you move toward maybe an eventual real traditional root cellar. Yeah, like so many mm. things on the homestead, you have ideal mm. and you have practical. And, and the, yeah. we want to aim for ideal, but we don't want to get hung up on ideal to the point that we're not even doing it and not hitting practical. There, yeah, and there really is very little ideal. And I think in today's world where we're taught so many industrial methods right. that are so technical and so precise, and if we try to follow those, well, we're never going to do something. We're never going to get there <laughs> and make it happen. And there is a lot of in-between. While it might not be ideal, well, yes, things may not store as long, you can still store things. You can still make things happen, even outside of the root cellar discussion. Right. If we're willing to let go of ideal and kind of figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. So um, okay. So let's dive in, though. This is just going to be some good information about what you can keep in the in the 
conditions that you need to be able to keep it in in root celery. Okay, great. And so you want to start with uh, cold and very moist. Yeah, so the first class is the cold and very moist. And when we're talking about cold, we're talking 32 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, I mean, you're talking your refrigerator cooler sort of range. But very, very high humidity, 90 to 95% humidity. Realistically, the way to get this is going to be having your vegetables in some sort of damp medium. Sand, sawdust, historically is very common. Mm -hmm leaves, damp leaves, not wet, but damp. And that's the way you're going to keep that 90 to 95% humidity in an area. And likewise, to keep it that cool, because the earth actually isn't that cool. Mm -hmm. So in this one, there is some management because you've got to let that cold night air in. You've got to have air movement and get cold air in there to to maintain these levels. Right. So the things that store really well under under these conditions are going to be things like carrots, beets, parsnips, turnips, celery, leeks, and you can even store broccoli and Brussels sprouts like this mm-hmm. for short term. You're not going to get the months and months that the other ones are. But if right. they are stored properly, you can still be eating delicious crisp carrots six months from now out of your root cellar. Right. It should be great. They should be in great condition by the time you're starting to get your spring carrots coming on. Yep. So it's really good. Good. Okay. So the next one we're going to talk about is cold and moist. So Mm -hmm. same temperature levels, but the humidity levels don't need to be as high. Right. So we're talking still that 32 to 40 degree Mm -hmm. range, but now we're in the 80 to 90 percent humidity. Mm -hmm. That's still quite a bit more humid. That's pretty moist. That's pretty moist. That's more humid than your room level. But, you know, you think about root cellars in the ground, in dirt you're going to be holding moisture in there pretty Mm -hmm. well. So you may have to add a little bit. But the things that would be in that range and would store really well there are going to be potatoes, cabbage, apples, grapes, oranges, pears. Some of those things we don't even think about root cellaring Mm -hmm. in our culture right now. But historically, they have been cellared for long periods of time. Right. In that kind of storage. I mean, grapes. How lovely would it be to go get a bunch of grapes But if you've ever seen, you know, in Italy, they used to have these like chandelier looking things with bunches of grapes hanging off of them in their root cellar areas. And they would stay good for months that way. And so you could still have fresh grapes down your root cellar. Isn't that amazing? Very, very cool. One (laughs) thing to note in these that makes me think on this list, too, is just there there are some things that need to not be stored together. Right. Like, like the apples and potatoes right. cause a problem. I forget which way it goes right yeah. at the moment. Do you remember? What no, I don't offhand. One of them off-gasses something to makes the other one go bad. Yeah, generally yeah. you want to keep your fruits and your roots separate. Right. Yeah. Yep, good Good rule of thumb there. Yeah. So that's something you want to research if you're looking at applying some of these or trying to get this going. You definitely want to do some research and understand what works well together. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, the next environment we're talking about is cool. So we're warming up here a little bit. Uh, 40 to 50 degrees, right? right? Mm-hmm. And yet still moist, still up in that 80, you know, 80 percentile yeah. moisture level. Absolutely. And these are some really exciting ones for a lot of people because they're cucumbers, sweet peppers, watermelons and cantaloupe, ripe tomatoes. Did you know these things can store for up to two and three months pretty easily in great condition if you can give them yeah. this environment? I mean, how nice to go grab some sweet peppers, right? But 
40 to 50 degrees, I mean, you're kind of in refrigerator range right there, but you're, you know, maybe a little warmer than your yeah, average yeah, refrigerator. You're, yeah, you're, you're getting a little warmer in a refrigerator. You're still pretty cool. But you're um, pretty cool, but you're pretty high humidity, and that's yeah. the important thing. And you're still going to have to get some cool air in there at night. You're still going to have to manage that. That's mm -hmm. not that 50 to 55 degrees Yeah. that... That earth temperature, so there's right. still some cooling off that needs to happen. Right. right. Okay. Okay. Now we're moving. Now we're going back to that cold but drier. You know, I don't really think of this as dry, but in terms of crop storage, yeah, you cool and dry that 32 to 50 degrees this is quite a wide wide range. Yeah. Um, but lower humidity, the 60 percentile. Right. Of humidity. Yeah. So that's that's considered dry, right? Drier when as it comes to, food. to food storage, yeah. but it's still higher mm -hmm. than your average room household humidity. Right. And that's going to be your onions and your garlic. That's where those are going to store really, really well. Right. Is in that that kind of cool, very cool. It's really quite cold, actually, 32 to 50. You know. Yeah, there's just a high tolerance there. And they're mm -hmm. going to do best on, on these closer to that, you know, 32. Yeah. Not You don't want to freeze because that's not going to damage them. But any of these things that can take those temperatures, the cooler, the better. Yeah. Before you get to freezing, they're going to hold longer, assuming you've got your humidity and a good good range. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. And so next we've got now what we're moving on to a moderately warm, we wouldn't call it warm, but but moving up in temperature to 50 to 60 degrees. Right. And uh, still in that 60% humidity right. level. Yeah. And that's things like your pumpkins and your winter squash, your sweet potatoes and green tomatoes will hold for a long time at that temperature. Right. And so you can tell just, just by those temperatures right there, what things are going to be easier to get started with. Yes. You know, pumpkins, winter squash, if you don't have ideal conditions, uh, the sweet potatoes, greening tomatoes, even onions and garlic, those things start moving towards things that you can get started with really easily mm -hmm. without ideal conditions because that temperature range is a bit higher. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So here we're talking about storing things in this really cool temperature for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. But if you can get close to that, you can still store things for a long time. It's just not going to store as long. Right. right. So so moving away from that ideal, yeah. if you go to, and this is why root cellars work, because your soil temperature is 50 to 55 degrees. Right. And so that is a good, you can you can do all of this within that. It may yeah. not be ideal for everything, but you can, that temperature range will get you there real close. Right. And can work across the board for almost everything here that we're talking about. So you may not have really crisp, delicious carrots for those six months, but would you be happy to have them for three months yeah. to get you through? Oh, in a man. lot of places, the, yeah, the answer is absolutely yeah. yes. I would love that. Yeah. Well, and the winter squashes. We've gotten winter squashes six months. Oh, easily. In, that, in, that, in the in, kitchen. Yeah, in that 60 you know, degree temperature. Yeah. 60, 65 degrees. That, that's getting into varietals and yeah. varieties that do real well, but you can still go a long, long way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that we're kind of moving out of that. We're talking about that ideal. And so now we're talking, okay, you could do this 55 is a good temperature mm -hmm. average. But say we just can't get to the root cellar. You know, we still aren't going to get that hole in the ground and get a technical root cellar built. We're not ready yet. What are things that people can do? We've done a lot over the years yes. to, to um, make do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can. One thing that we've done that's worked really well for us is using coolers in a cold space, mm -hmm. yep. right? So we've been able to keep apples in our uninsulated garage here where it gets very, very cold, but we have them inside a cooler and we've been able to keep them good all the way until the following March and even into yeah, April. Six, six months yeah, yeah. in yeah. non-ideal conditions. And those are just in coolers, in big coolers. Right. 
just put right in there, cracked open just a little bit. So you can find a space that will stay cool, but give them some protection from being frozen. Right. So yep. that's a good one. That is a good Another one. one would be an old fridge. Yeah. In fact, we used to have a neighbor who had an old fridge on her porch, and she would keep apples and pears in that, cracked open all winter long. And if it got too cold, she'd just go out and close the fridge door. Mm -hmm. And if it was a nice day, she would crack it open a little so it could get some, you know, circulation Yeah, in there. a little air circulation. And that worked really well It for did. Her. And she was a long time. And she grew up right here. Oh, yes. Homesteading. 77, you know, same, I think, yeah, year old. On the same land. And she didn't have a big giant root cellar. But yep. she had tips and tricks like that that worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's really cool. Got her a long way. Yeah. Some people actually take old fridges or chest freezers and dig them into the ground. Yep. You can certainly do that, but you know, by the time you're digging into the ground, it kind of feel like you might as well just dig a little more and get a root cellar. Yeah, maybe, but but you know, depending on what your storage needs are, that's yeah. a good way to do it. And another start. thing you could do is is um, this is kind of like clamping, uh -huh. which we'll talk about in a minute. But you could stack bales around those around mm -hmm. an old fridge or something like that. But getting back to just using some of what we have, there's right. a few other things that you can do here that keep you in that 50s range. And of course, a lot of this has to do with the environment that you're living in, right? right. So you're really just looking for where can I find a 50s range in a, in a way that hopefully your vegetables or fruits aren't going to go through a whole lot of daily temperature fluctuations. Right. So a little bit of insulation there. One thing that you can do is an exterior closet, yeah. uh, maybe on your porch, that either does or doesn't have insulation, depending on how cold you get. Or you could insulate it, something like that, mm -hmm. a shed, and yeah. insulate it. Again, it's going to depend on your environment, but you could insulate that shed, and that may keep it just enough, That's, you know, in that good environment. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Really good. Uh, crawl spaces are another yep. really we've, good We've place. done that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times those will be exposed to the dirt. So you actually get the benefit of that dampness of the soil from underneath the house. And if you don't mind all the spiders and you can protect things from rodents. Right. So this is the non-ideal. It's a little harder to access depending right. on how much you're putting under there. Yeah. And, and we've done that. Yeah. And, you know, going down to the crawl space and what do you got? You know, you got to go out in the rain or whatever and yeah. crawl around to get to it. But it, it de definitely... Uh, especially if the house floor is insulated. If it's a house with a crawl space and the house floor is insulated, it's going to often stay in those 50s, low 60s mm -hmm. and can work very, very well for you. Yeah, very yep. good. I have also seen that people take their porches and create mm -hmm. spaces underneath them, insulating with things like hay bales right. and just create kind of a mock root cellar underneath their porch in the shaded cool side of the house yeah that well, can work well you can even take the cool side of the house and stack up bales you know yeah. against the house so that inside that's getting a little bit of uh you know heat from the house but not that much and then stack up you know straw bales or hay right. bales and make a little room so you can really get creative with these things there's a lot that you can do but another one that's really good and what we're currently using is a basement yeah our basement if your basement is not heated it is down in the earth. Yeah. And ours gets a little warm because the floors aren't insulated, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it can get a little bit warmer, but it generally stays in the low 60s, Yeah. sometimes the 50s, depending on how it's doing. And um, that's a great space, especially if you can section it off. And here's what we're doing this year is we're actually going to create a little section and I'm taking a four inch vent pipe and going to bring in with a fan and bring cool air in at night as we needed to get those temps down. Yeah. That's going to be a step up for us and in, in our system until we can get to that actual root cellar. Mm -hmm. So lots you can do in a basement. And to pick up the humidity, if you live in a dry area, I know in general, you know, basements kind of are notorious for being damp, but sometimes they actually aren't damp enough to be in that higher humidity right. area. 
you can always bring in buckets of water and just set them there mm-hmm. and let them evaporate into the area. Some people go down daily with spray bottles and just spray around. You can hang a sheet on the inside and dampen that every hey, day. I guess if you wanted to get really fancy, you could do a very simple mister. There you go. With a humid- Tristan would love this, my son. He yeah. likes all the tech stuff. You, yeah. could, you could actually put a humidifier in there with a little mister, and it just comes on a little bit when, when you need a little humidity. So, you could probably put a digital controller on it for humidity. Well, you could do we're getting one for temperature things. for the fan is what there we're going to do to, to help with that. So you can really get creative working with what you have, and which is what we've done over the years, mm-hmm. to do your best to mimic these spaces. And yeah, okay, so we're not, we're not hitting the ideals. We can really, really stretch out storage if you just get creative, learn a little bit and get very creative about thinking yeah. about the space that you have and how you can use it. There are some old fashioned <laughs> outdoor techniques, some mm-hmm. of which are like storing in your rows, actually not harvesting your root vegetables, but insulating over them. Mm-hmm. You also have the old lamp system where you would pile up your vegetables and thickly insulate that with some straw. Um, and those things can definitely work depending on your environment. But right. I think any of these systems that you want to come up with as an alternative, you have to keep in mind your top priorities when it comes to root cellaring. Number one, the first priority is temperature. Right. Okay, you've got to get it cool. You've got to get it cool and you've got to keep it cool. And you want to keep it as temperature stable as possible so you don't have a lot of fluctuation. Well, and, and if you can get that, start cellaring. However, however you can mm-hmm. start. Don't don't worry about the next one if you can't nail it, if you can't yeah. get that just right. If you can just get those cooler temperatures and even down into the low 60s, yeah. you're going to be able to, to take some of these foods and extend your storage without having to can them or dehydrate them or something else and just start playing with it. Yeah, absolutely. And then the number two priority is going to be your humidity levels. Mm-hmm. That's the second thing to try and dial in the best you can. Number three is going to be airflow. Right. And of course, all of it, it has to be accessible. So you got to think through accessibility. How are you going to get to it if it's covered in snow or if it's raining out or, you know, all of that. You need to kind of work through those issues because certain weather conditions in the winter can actually throw you off quite a bit from being able to access it. But that's uh, if you can work out those top three priorities, then you have a great alternative to a traditional root cellar. Absolutely. And so one last item, yeah, which is maintenance. Is maintenance. And that is going through at least once a week during your storage period and sorting through things. Now, that's going to kind of change. Once a week is kind of that rule of thumb, but that's going to change as the season wears on. At the beginning, when you just put your apples into storage in a bin, you're pretty sure they're not bad because you were careful to put them all in, right? Well, I got to say, though, hopefully you're careful to put them all in. Right. And depending on how you're harvesting, who's helping you. Sometimes we've got a lot of kids helping. <laughs> yeah. So quality control isn't always at its tops. And so you just, you, you've you got to know what you're putting in. Right. And you may need to start, you know, right away going through them. Yeah. Um, but so you yeah. just, just have an eye on what you're doing. But certainly the further through the season you get. Right the more you've got to keep your eye on things. Make sure you're removing any that are starting to spoil. Make sure you're, you know, you're going, oh, these things, the potatoes are starting to get wilty. Let's take all the rest of the potatoes and dehydrate them into hash browns or can them or just eat them for dinner this week. You know, whatever it is that you're going to do with them. But be looking at things all the time and be keeping an eye on them. That's really, really important. And I got to say, make sure in between vegetable 
like seasons that you're cleaning things really, really well. They used to whitewash things yes, with, a lime did, wash with a lime wash yep. because that's um, disinfectant. That's a antibacterial. Yeah. And so you're killing off mold spores, yeast spores, things like that, so that you start out crisp and clean with the longest possibility of storage life. And I want to make one other note about maintenance, especially on these other options that we're talking about, because when you are root cellaring in the ideal sense, you're in the ground, so temperature is very stable. Mm-hmm. When we start applying these other these other um, situations, especially like you know something in the garage or whatever, if you end up with a few weeks of warmer winter, the, the weather fluctuations, yeah. especially if it warms up, you got to yes. be careful of it freezing too hard too, and something might catch and you might get something frozen, but particularly warming up, that's going to accelerate the deterioration. Mm-hmm. And so you need to bump up and all of a sudden you go, wow, it's been really warm for a few days. I maybe better get in there, even though I'm not scheduled to for another three, four days. Um, you just you don't have as much control because we're just making do and that's where that maintenance can can help, you know, balance that out, make sure and get in there in that warm weather. Okay, so I have to say that I'm really excited that this winter we're planning, maybe we're hoping. We're, we're sure hoping. designing and making plans. I'm implementation, we'll see. For a real root cellar, our first ever complete root cellar well, next, next yeah. year. We're hoping to put that in next year. Yeah. We'll see. We've got a lot of projects. We're trying to do a lot of infrastructure projects on the property, and that's one of them that we really want to get in. Because you can store a lot of food really quickly. Yeah. In a root cellar, especially when you have a well-designed one. And so, uh, you know, culturally, there was a lot more root cellaring going on because you had to survive off of what you were producing yourself right. a lot of times on the land. And that is a really, really good way to do that. A lot of the things that root cellar are kind of survival crops, right? Potatoes, yeah. carrots, uh, squash, things like that, that you can really get a lot of healthy, good calories out of for your winter time. So I'm really excited about that addition to the food program here on the homestead. Really is, and and but they're so important and that's why there are all those alternative methods. So find a way to get started yeah. and, and jump into it and start learning now and get in on that journey. Yeah, even if it's not ideal, just find a yep. place, think about it, think about what you could do on your homestead and give it a try and some experimenting this year. Yep, absolutely. You guys, it's been great hanging with you this time and we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.